You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. So, are we here? Are we started? are recording. It's recording. This is goddamn fucking delicious. It's so good. We're going to start talking about it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Truly came out with new seltzers. They are They're tea. tea seltzers. Ugh. Which oh, you had this, you're having the strawberry one. Yeah. So I haven't cracked open the peach one yet, but I had the raspberry one, which was so good. And then the person at the liquor store said the peach one was her the favorite. best one. And yeah, she I was like, peach. they're all incredible. She was like, oh, have you had these yet? And I was like, no. And she was like, they're so good. And I was like, oh, yay. This yeah. is always my favorite they're thing. They're so good so mm-hmm. far. I'm sure the peach one is delicious. I have like this much left of this one that I have to yeah. drink. They go down very quickly. Yeah. So which is- new favorite in this household. Yes. Hold on. Let me pop this baby over and take a sip. And then we'll get going. Oh my god, it's like drinking a Snapple. <laughs> did you learn a new fact? This is fucking del- I did, remember I told you yeah, how Oregon Trail was one of the highest ranking video games? Yep. It made like $65 million. That's true. I did learn a new fact. Mm-hmm. A new fact I learned this week oh is god, that... So <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Have um, a sip. You, I can't, you can't wait. The Italians during World War II claimed that they killed Nessie. That was a thing that I learned this week. So now you guys know too. Uh, feel free to Google oh, Goebbels and Nessie and then be like, what the fuck? Because that's what I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's rude how that's good that is. Literally just a Snapple. Yes, with a tiny bit of fizz that what Snapple doesn't have. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm impressed. I'm pretty sure that's witchcraft. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. On that note, um, quick note, WandaVision. WandaVision is fucking up my brains. Yeah, so WandaVision is... And the last three episodes are going to be an hour long. God bless. And then it goes straight into Winter Soldier and Falcon. Wanda the Sam Bucky show. Oh, More which... feelings. It's just, I'm, I'm, it's fine. Why I'm working 50 million hours. So I can't feel anything else. Huh. Okay. We so we're on episode 43. are on episode 43. <laughs> I'm Brittany Petrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, Let's, Let's Talk, Talk Nerdy. Clink. Okay. So today is Valentine's Day. So right. after a lot of trouble trying to figure out what the fuck I wanted to talk about, I knew I wanted to be corny and talk about a couple. You're a goon. Since it's Valentine's Day. And so today, I am talking about Jun and Kazuya from Tekken. Oh, okay. Yes. I know very, very little about Tekken, so yes. I'm excited to learn. Uh, my sources are Wikipedia and Fandom, the Tekken video games, and there is a Tekken the Motion Picture that's what I was watching, if you were wondering. LOL! Yeah. And I watched a bunch of, like, the different scenes. The motion the picture. Yeah, we'll talk about it, because that actually is a big part of my fucking, like, childhood. Was it artsy? <laughs> no, it was okay. just a shitty anime. So, let's go over first just what fucking Tekken is. 
Tekken is a Japanese franchise centered around a series of fighting video games and arcade games developed and published by Bandai Namco Entertainment. The franchise also includes a film and some print adaptations. The main game in the series follows the events of the King of Iron Fist tournament, which actually the kanji or whatever it is that Tekken is, that is always showed with the when it says Tekken is mm-hmm. actually symbols for Iron Fist. Ah. And it is hosted by Mishima Zabatsu, where players control a plethora of characters to win the tournament and gain control of this company. You find out very beginning that the conflict between the Mishima family serves as the main focus of the series plot while players explore other characters motivations and aiming to control the Zaibatsu so of course like every single fighting game I know you're not a huge game person there's always like a bunch of different characters yep. and each of them have their own reason to be in the tournament and mm-hmm. each have their own storyline but there's always only going to be the one that's like the actual the main the character main, the canon yeah. storyline that they follow so it's, you know, just fun to have different characters. I love that shit, obviously. Yeah. So gameplay focuses on hand-to-hand combat with an opponent with the gameplay system, including blocks, throws, escapes, and ground fighting. Series later introduces combos and special moves with characters being able to stage break arenas. Tekken is also noted to be one of the first fighting games to uh, use a 3D animation. Ooh. Yeah. Namco began the series in 1994, and then as of 2017, it has nine additional entries, eight spin-off games, and has been adapted into three feature films and media and other media. Oh wow! Tekken Two, which is the game that actually got me into the series, and then as well as the third game, Tekken Three, are considered landmark titles. They received critical acclaim for their gameplay and more immersive experience. Subsequent titles have followed this concept and have also received generally positive critiques. The series has been universally acclaimed and commercially successful, having shipped more than 50 million units, making it one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time and the third best fighting game franchise in history, only um, coming in after Super Smash, which is number one, mm-hmm. and Mortal Kombat, which is number two. Also makes sense. I was shocked that Street Fighter wasn't actually above it. Yeah, it's above Street Fighter. The main series has been widely credited by critics and video game publications for raising the standards of fighting games and praising the gameplay mechanics and replay value. So now we'll talk about Jin a little bit, and then a little bit about Kazuya, Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about them together. So Jin Kazama made her debut in Tekken 2. She is the mother of Jin Kazama, who assumes her to be dead after witnessing her being attacked by Ogre. During the period prior to the third tournament, when Ulrich was attacking and killing participants of the second King of Iron Fist tournament. Jun's official status, however, is unknown. Jun is one of the small group of characters who have only appeared in one canon game, but she has multiple cameos. She's mentioned in almost every single game, mm-hmm. and she's in um, a lot of the sideline games as well. Uh, so, a little bit about Jun. She was a wildlife surveillance officer of the conservation group WWWC, who, and she uses... World Wildlife something. Conservation, I'm assuming. That makes sense. Wicked uh, conservation. <laughs> <laughs> 
She uses the Kazama-style traditional martial arts and martial arts that has been handed down through her family for generations. Jun grew up surrounded by nature and on the island of Yakushima, where she was taught the ways of the Kazama-style martial arts and developed strong psychic abilities. And then she moved to Tokyo when she reached adulthood. So while she's in the city, she's distanced from her spiritual surroundings. But then an appearance of her father's ghost has her reaffirmed in her beliefs of the paranormal and her spiritual abilities. If you ever see my ghost, it's because you're losing it and you need to go to therapy. It's not because I came back because I wouldn't. I obviously don't expect that will be an issue for you. This goes to anybody who's... Associated with me, I guess. <laughs> All right. So during her time in Tokyo, when she was working for WWWC, she heard of a man named Kazuya Mishima, who was involved in the smuggling of protected animals. Also sensing a mysterious power surrounding Kazuya, Jun decides to enter the second King of the Iron Fist tournament to both put an end to the illegal smuggling and to free Kazuya from whatever power he, uh, was surrounding him. There is a part of her character that it's not officially said that it's her, but a lot of people believe it is, and we're not really sure. So there's, we know, which I'll get into, that Kazuya is devil. That is fact. That is known fact. And But there is a character that is always clashing with him, slash there's some, they're involved, that is Angel. And this character showed up in Tekken 2 and then was gone by Tekken 3 and then wasn't again a scene until Tekken Tag, which is where we see, which is basically what happened to Jun. Uh. So there are, like I said, different theories on who Angel is or what Angel is. But Mm -hmm. one of the longest ones is that Jun herself is the one who becomes Angel, which is one of the reasons why she was so drawn to Kazuya because she could sense that he was devil. Ah. Uh, Kazuya Mishima. I loved Kazuya when I was younger. He's such a dick. Ugh, that's yes. the worst. Yep. The worst when you Where look back like, at people and you're in like, real, oh, yeah. And I'm oh. like, in real life, like, no fucking way. You're yeah. an awful person, mm-hmm. but I guess you're fake, so it's okay. Yeah. You either lean in or you're like, no, all of these are bad. Yeah. Most of the time I lean in, obviously, as a person who likes a lot of villains. <laughs> I just, I, you know... I wouldn't ever hang out with them in real life. Yep. No, it's true. Yeah, he sucks. He's rich and he sucks. All right. So Kazuya Mishima. I bet he's hot though, right? He is hot. Ugh, rude. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so Kazuya Mishima is one of the main characters of the Tekken series. He appears in all of the Tekken games except Tekken 3. But he apparently did make two, like, cameo appearances in that, that game. I don't remember much of Tekken 3, but I did have it, and I played it. I just remember the beginning where Ogre is holding Jun's head. That's why we think she died by him. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. That's but fair. it's, like, kind of silhouetted, so you're not 100% oh. sure. Yeah. The, J- Jun's holding is very mysterious because she pops in so often Ooh. in weird ways. Yeah. All right. So... Although he is seen as the main protagonist and hero of the first Tekken game, Kazuya becomes one of the main antagonists of the series ever since Tekken 2. Most importantly, Kazuya is the son of Heihachi Mishima and Kazumi Mishima. And Heihachi is all the reasons of fucking Kazuya's problems. Who doesn't love a bad fictional dad? Right? At first glance... 
Kazuya seems like another typical um, fighting game hero protagonist. He has that clothing choice that they always wear, oh the boy. white pants, red yep. gloves, little foot pads. And then he has a justifiable quest of getting revenge on him, on his abusive father, Heihachi. Mm-hmm. Uh, little foot pads just makes it sound like he has, like, little paw pads, like, kitties. <laughs> Which is, I'm just gonna assume that that's, he has those socks that have them, like, right on the balls oh, of yes, your feet. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yep. Everything's the same except for that. That, okay. <laughs> so, but however, Kazuya was in truth intended to be the villain from the start, as apparently his character profile in the first Tekken states that his reasoning for entering the first King of Iron Fist tournament was to get revenge and then use his father's vast fortune to carry out his own plans of world domination. Hmm. Another clue for Kazuya's true intentions in nature was in the PlayStation port of the first game. One of his secret costumes is indeed his devil form. Dun, dun, dun. Kazuya's true nature comes to light in Tekken 2. He gets revenge on his father, or so he thinks. But instead of bringing justice or honor to the Mishima Zaibatsu by righting the wrongs of his father, yes. What's a Zaibatsu? It's just the company. Oh, okay. It's, it, they're sort of like a, a mafia. Oh, okay. They're sort of like the Japanese mafia. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but it's like also like a giant global big company that seems like legal on the outside, but is gotcha, awful gotcha, on gotcha. the inside. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. I was like, should I know this? Is this <laughs> one of those like? And it's just called yeah. the it's just called the Mishima <laughs> Zaibatsu. That's the name of it. Gotcha. So instead of trying to bring justice and honor the Mishima Zaibatsu by righting its wrongs of the fa- of his father, Kazuya just continues on with the corrupt practices and actually makes it worse. His crimes include kidnapping, extorting money from several businesses and many organizations, and smuggling endangered animal species. Shame. Yep. Uh, he also sees control of... Shame Mar- for all of those things, by the way. <laughs> yes. He even sees control of nearly all of Japan's second largest island, Hokkaido, and plans to build his own independent nation and strong military force there. A turd. Yeah. He's a dick. <laughs> I'm going to build my own fucking yeah, island he's here. A fucking man-child. At some point, Kazuya decides to hold another Iron Fist tournament, and during the tournament, this is where he crosses paths with Jun, because she's like, he's smuggling endangered animals, probably places to be hunted. Mm. That's what I assume. That's fucked up. I mean, it makes sense, but also... Not cool. Unhappy. Alright, so there is, now that we know a little about Jun Jun and uh, Kazuya, Mm -hmm. as individual people, there's little known about how or why it happened, but Jun and Kazuya ended up getting it on, and she gets pregnant, and um. they are the parents of basically the main character since Tekken 3, which is Jin, mm-hmm. who can also be the biggest douchebag, but that's a whole other story. This is an enemies to fucking fanfiction. <laughs> and so what we're going to talk about today is some of the possibilities and of what, what went on between these two characters, because this game series is very... It's very mm, mysterious. Yes. Everything about Jun is very mysterious. So there are a few possibilities. Um, they could have been drawn to each other because of the whole angel and devil living inside of them and mm-hmm. being them or whatever. There could have just been a one night stand where, you know, they're like, okay, we're hot. Let's do this. Yeah. They might have had some affection towards each uh, each other, or Kazuya could have raped her, but I hate that idea, because I hate it, and I don't want to talk yeah. about it. No. And it's, it's just, I just, I know he's a dick, but like, I'm like, 
It's unnecessary yeah. to put that so much in fiction, yes. especially in mm-hmm. fucking video games. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes. chill out. Yeah. So, I personally think that Jin is Angel, and that is one of the initial reasons why they had this weird magnetism to uh. each other. And then, whether it was a one-night stand or maybe a little bit something more, I think is where it gets a little blurred, where you might not be sure. I guess it mm-hmm. depends on your feeling. But I'm going to go over a few different things to try to figure it out. Because I think it was a little bit more than just a one-night stand. Makes sense. I mean, from the very, very little I've heard, I don't know. She she doesn't seem like a one-night stand yeah. type of person. Yeah. It also seems like somebody who could see the best in Yes, 100%. She's that person. So, as I said, there's little known about their actual relationship since Kazuya was thought to be dead at the end of Tekken 2, and then Jin raised Jin by herself, and then died before we find out that Kazuya was still alive. Mm. So, other than Tekken 2, there isn't much actual interaction that we see between them. But Jun does always appear in Tech and Tag, and she is often mentioned throughout the actual series. She does play a huge role in Jin, and then I think even in Kazuya's more than he lets on. The first Tech and Tag, which is one I had. What is Tech and Tag? So it's For just an offshoot. Yes, yeah, so Tech and Tag. It's Tech and Tag tournament. So it's just an offshoot where you they have tag tournaments, which is you know what a tag tournament is, like where you, you have two characters in, and out. you tag yep. in and tag out, and you have mm-hmm. to fight two characters. The second Tech and Tag has a billion T characters in it because it, it was after so many games came out. But this like put all the characters from like the first three games in it together, and they fought together. And some of them had like the the different endings were, you know, and you, they you get could some, do like, special things. And shit yeah, like exactly. Mm-hmm. If they had something to do with each other, they I might like have that. a special uh, things. Yeah. You get a little bit of story. Yes, exactly. Beautiful. In the first Tekken Tag, Devil Kazuya's ending is finding an unconscious Jun lying on the ground. He flies down to her, picks her up, and then flies off with her. They're very short, and they don't really lead anywhere, so you don't really know what's going on. It's just filled with implications. But it's like, why would Devil go pick up Jun, like... For no reason. For no reason. Like, he's supposed to be, this is a crazy thing that just wants to kill things. Like, Kazuya's in there somewhere, being like... I have a little bit of affection. My girlfriend's lying unconscious on the ground. Uh, I like that your voice went up so high for that. (laughs) It is. It's also been in, I didn't write this, but in some of different endings and it's known, I think it's partly throughout the game too, it's known that Jin also has the devil in him, but he looks kind of angel-like too. Like his wings are angel wings, but they're black, which is another reason why you would think that Jin might be angel because it's kind of like a mix, but it's devil Jin. And... Though sometimes he like goes to like do things and in like the Tekken tournaments or uh, whatever, she can like stop him or turn him back into being like regular Jin. And like uh, she just says, and she has this uh, calming like, effect on Kazuya too. Yeah, like that's like, yes. Do you have a crush on Jin too? No. Okay. I didn't know if you had a thing for all of the men who have the devil in them. No. Matt Murdock. That's what that was going for. <laughs> just in case anyone wasn't getting it. Mm. we're all here you were wearing your electric underwear earlier i was i was and i worked out in my daredevil electra shirt the other day it was cute and also who doesn't think about electra like once a week and then tech and tech two they have special win poses if you match with characters that have something to do with one another 
And it depends who you are when you win that it shows. But either way, if you're Jun and Kazuya, the person who wins, they walk by each other. And then at the same time, they just, they just kind of ignore each other at first. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they stop and sort of glance over their shoulder. And Kazuya crosses his arm, kind of just looking smug like he normally does. But he does glance. And then Jun just kind of looks a little bit sad. Oh, yeah. Tragic. Mm-hmm. And both in Tekken Tag and Tekken Tag 2, sometimes they can have, like, special moves together. And Jun and Kazuya will, can always have, like, a combined move together if you play as both of them. Ah. So, yeah. And then in Tekken 6, Jun is mentioned several times during the prologue for the scenario campaign, so the main scenario. Mm-hmm. Essentially, quick overview of what it is, is it's just a retelling of all the previous Tekkens told by Jin, Kazuya, and Heihachi. Ah. So, like, Heihachi goes first and he talks about Tekken 1. And then Kazuya goes, he talks about Tekken 2. Jin goes, talks about Tekken 3. And then I stopped watching it because I didn't care after that. (laughs) (laughs) So... During this prologue, Kazuya explains how he met Jun and how he found her to be fearless and mysterious. And I felt like her being brought up obviously is a main, is the main plot of Tekken 2, but it was kind of like random. Like what with the rest of his dialogue, like it wouldn't really need to be there. So, but it's like him reminiscing on Tekken 2 and what happened in him reminiscing on that time would be with Jun. And if he didn't care about Jun, he wouldn't, he wouldn't fucking be reminiscing about it. And he wouldn't be fondly reminiscing. Yes, exactly. And being like, she was so brave and just didn't fucking care, even though I was like, I'm going to kill you. And she was like, bitch, are you though? Mm-hmm. No, no, you're not. <laughs> now we're going to move on to the motion picture. Made in 1998. It was technically two episodes that they just made into one hour long movie, but it was like two OAV, OVA. I actually had this movie on VHS. Uh, and Maureen and I would watch it every half day and eat a bunch of popcorn at my house. Fucking nerds. How old were you? Middle school. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was middle school. I don't know how long it went on for. I can't remember that much, but I know it was multiple half days because we had like one half day a month like scheduled Mm -hmm. in so like i knew it was for i think at least like a year but i can't i can't remember exactly so the motion picture has never officially been said that it's canon but it's also never been like no this isn't part of the canon Mm -hmm. and a lot of fans think there's parts that they could take from it that fit in with the series and fill in a lot of adjacent yes like i don't think that's necessarily a term but i like mm -hmm. it for a lot of things because sometimes i'm like i like this but only a little (laughs) yeah well it just fills in a it's it's mostly about jun and kazia and so it just fills in a lot of gaps so it starts with a little baby jun and by little baby i mean like six uh crying over a dead bunny and little baby kazia who's like nine or ten, something like that, uh, finds her and is comforting her, telling her that he's going to go kick that bobcat's ass that killed that bunny. Okay. Then, well, he's already being trained yeah. by Heihachi 
Did he kick the bobcat's ass? So before he could go kick the bobcat's ass, Heihachi appears out of nowhere. Kazuya weak, rips this necklace, this locket off of his neck, and then throws him off a cliff. What locket? He's so he's wearing like this little locket that ends up because I mentioned multiple times, which Mm -hmm. I'll get into a little bit later, but it's important. Okay, rips it off his neck and then throws him off a cliff, which is canon. How old is he at this point? Probably. Like 10. So Heihachi throws, which is Heihachi why this is, is his dad, right? Yes. So Heihachi is always a dick, but this is where the real, like, I fucking hate my father happens because he throws him off a cliff. Yeah, that will be He it. says something lame like, you'll learn lions, something from this, blah, blah, blah. throw their cubs off a cliff and only care for the ones that survive or something. I'm like, well, yeah, because the other ones are dead, but I don't and think they do And they probably do don't have do you, that. Have, have you, you heard watched? of science? Have you watched The Lion King? <laughs> I was going to say, are you only basing this off The Lion King? <laughs> yeah. And also, like, they didn't do that in The Lion King. They just held him above a cliff. They yeah. didn't throw I him, you stupid know. nerd. You stupid asshole. So, little John here sees all of it. Pretty sure lions are, like, pretty chill. And they also, lions are like, mm, the male lions are useless. Yes. Us <laughs> ladies over here are doing Sorry everything. we have to get everything done and you just sit around and pant most of the time. <laughs> it's true. Be a good stay-at-home dad. It's true. I don't mean that in a derisive way. That came out way more derisive <laughs> than I wanted it to. All right. So little Jun sees all of this. And as she's screaming in terror because this little boy just got thrown off a cliff. Yes. She ends up waking up and it's just a nightmare oh. in bed. Mm. And, uh, but Jun is wondering after all this time why she's having this nightmare again because it is and it is a memory. It did happen. Mm. But that's why it's a little discombobulated and things don't link because it's just a, a nightmare. So Mishima Corp is shady as shit. Which is also canon. Genius shit. And uh, Jun ends up being invited slash getting going to this tournament because once again with animals. And she's talking to her boss and he shows a, her a picture of Heihachi, which is apparently a very rare sighting. Not very many people know what Heihachi looks like, who the he best. is. And, but she instantly remembers him as the guy that threw the little boy off the cliff. It's pretty memorable. Yeah. Also, that would be a pretty memorable experience. And then she's thinking that this is probably why she started having that nightmare again. Makes sense. Now we get a flashback, and it's of Kazuya, little boy, climbing back up the cliff and refusing to die because he wants to get revenge on his father. Climbing back up? Was there nothing at the bottom? Essentially, they're, like, in the middle of nowhere because Janice was raised in, like, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. He, like, threw him off a cliff into, like, a ravine. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, in caves or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Climbing. Yep. I don't like to climb ever. So he climbs back up this cliff, bleeding to death. But he's like, I'm not going to fucking die because I have to fucking kill my dad because he's a douchebag. Mm. And then we hear a deep menacing voice. And then now an adult, Kazio wakes up in bed saying, why do I keep having this dream? And I can feel this evil growing inside me. Dun, dun, dun. So sidebar here, just because I thought it was fucking hilarious Uh he ends up getting attacked and the song playing in the background is save yourself by stabbing westwood i can't even save myself so go and save yourself (laughs) i like literally don't think i've heard that and i forgot and then as soon as it started playing it i was like 
Oh no. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what's playing. I just had to let you know. All right, so now we're we're Jun again. Well, we're seeing Jun, and she's on a boat because they're going to the tournament. So they're on a boat. Never thought I'd be on a boat, motherfucker. <laughs> and Kazuya makes a dramatic fucking entrance because that's who he is by jumping off a bridge onto said boat. Good fucking lord. Mm-hmm. I um, have to like stop taking a hit for that because that's so stupid. <laughs> And Jun sees this because, you know, someone just jumped onto the fucking boat, but instantly knows it's the little boy from her memory, but remarks how cold and uncaring he has seemed to have gotten, you know. I like that she remarked on that instead of being like, bro, you're alive. You're alive, A. Congrats. Pat you on the back. B, you're so dramatic. Is this what happens? Well, I mean, it's fair. Like His it, dad did throw him off a cliff. That's like the most dramatic thing that could happen for you, to you. So you're probably always living up to how dramatic your yeah. life should be. Nothing is that dramatic ever. But you can have like an easy life where you just go to the spa and get massages and shit. This is the fan fiction I want to read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now they're both on the boat. And... <laughs> Jun walks in on him raging on a punching bag and she's like holds out this necklace that is a locket that Heihachi ripped off from him all those years ago asking if it's his he denies it and she's like I'm pretty sure it's yours because I know it was you mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure inside the locket is a picture of your mom who looks really kind holding who is baby you so anyways, he gets pissed and he smacks it out of her hand, being like, it's not me, blah, blah, blah. Like, what the fuck? Who are you? Why are you doing this? Whatever. And she tells him that she was a little girl and she spent days looking for him. Oh. No adults believed her. So she climbed down the mountain herself to look for him and found nothing. Wow. And now, 16 years later, he's alive and all she can sense is coldness and it's almost like a devil. Oof. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of therapy needed. Oh, God. Always. That's going to be one of our buttons. (laughs) Uh, All right. And they needed therapy. (laughs) The end. Mm -hmm. Or just a button that says Doc Samson. It's just Doc Samson's head and it just says, call me. (laughs) I like it. Right? All right. So, Kazuya, still dramatic as fuck, legit rips his shirt off. Like, rips his shirt off. But he is revealing this massive scar on his chest that he got uh, the day that he fell. And he says that he still has pain from it. And it was only revenge that kept him alive that day. So he willingly sold his soul to the devil. Uh, so he can get revenge on his father. Jin tries to tell him that that is no way to live. And he's annoyed by her. Well, also, like, you can't take it back. No. He's annoyed by her, and Kazuya's like, you're all talking big here, you should back it up with your fists, like a fucking man. So Jun's like- Ooh, why don't we fight yeah. each other instead Listen, of having literally so any conversations Jun's ever? Like, okay, I guess I'll fight you, because apparently this is your language. I'm gonna kick your ass, <laughs> and then I'm gonna make you fucking get therapy. <laughs> but before they can actually fight, they're interrupted by Nina, and then by Anna with a grenade launcher- Anna blows up the gym, but they escape, and Kazuya tells Jin to basically back the fuck off, and no matter what, he's killing Heihachi tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
So the tournament begins, and Kazuya is making easy work of everyone, just sort of going through a little bit of a montage. There's some other side plot with other characters that don't matter. Yep. He's fighting one of the girls, Julia. (laughs) She's the, I think she's Native American. But there's, like, two of them, so, the, like, there ends up being, like, a sister. Okay. She tells him how she wants to kill Kazuya, too. And not Kazuya. Heihachi. It's okay. Heihachi, too. Julia wants to kill Heihachi? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. And Kazuya's like, so good, I will kill him for you, and you'll be up in heaven, because I'm about to kill you, he literally says. <laughs> Because like, I'm the one that's going to kill Kazuya. But don't, I mean, I'm going to kill Kazuya. Was she like, we could team up and he's no. like, no. And so he's about to like fucking kick her to death. And Jun jumps in the way and stops him. She tells him that his revenge and his evil and the evil is going to consume him. But he's like, all this talk again. If you're going to keep standing in my way, I'm just going to kill you. So they get ready to fight again. And then just as they're, uh, and she's like, fine, I'll fight to cut through the evil inside you. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that was happening. So just as they're about to start to fight, Jun stops and, and makes him stop because she suddenly feels another presence on the island they're on. And the presence she feels is just all bloodlust, rage, and death. Oh. So there's a quick scene change, but then when it comes back to them, they're back to back, ready to fight whatever's coming at them. And guess what? It's fucking everything. Dinosaurs. <gasps> no! Yeah. Like, kind of smaller T-Rexes. Baby T-Rex. Yeah. So, a bunch of Teen T-Rexes. T-Rexes. Teen T-Rexes. Okay, yes. That's what we're settling on. Team Rex. Team Rex. I'm fucking here for it. So. Team Teen Rex. <laughs> uh, we'll so make shirts. They're kind of getting their asses kicked, and then Kazuya is like, fuck this, and goes a little devil on all their asses, and then literally starts to rip them apart. Yeah, makes some corny joke when one tries to bite them about keeping their mouth closed and then rips them in half. Yeah, I roll. It's the 90s. Yeah. So we get it. You're an edgelord. <laughs> you feel like you have to destroy a bunch of things so that you I mean, can feel manly, I the guess. The dinosaurs were trying to eat them. Yes. Well, have you thought about snuggling all the dinosaurs and then being I friends mean, with them forever? I'm sure that was Jun's try, but they kind of beat her up, too. Oh, June, I feel you. <laughs> I would really like to have a dinosaur friend. You already have a monster. You don't need a dinosaur. I just want to be small <laughs> enough to ride her occasionally or have her be big enough. Just like, I don't know, if I had, like, a special collar that I pushed a button on, and then she was big enough and I could lie on top of her. This is what I would like. <laughs> Now all of you know, podcast mm-hmm. listeners. Yeah. Or if, like, I was like Ant-Man and I could shrink down to a certain spot, smallness. That was going to be spot done? and smallness. And then snuggle size? into her, like, belly. you just wanted size. Yeah, that's the You one. were just going for size. If I could shrink down to a, a certain size and then, like, ride her around and, and just have naps on her. These are the only things I want. Getting their asses kicked up by dinosaurs. Kazuya goes a little crazy, literally ripping them apart. And then Jun can sense that evil is about to take over and is trying to figure out how to stop it. But before she can, Heihachi appears out of nowhere and they start to fight Kazuya and Heihachi. And my poor little baby angel Jun is like, 
Uh, yeah, there's so much testosterone, and I want so to vomit. So much testosterone, and I need a fucking nap. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> All right. Like, why does everybody solve their problems with fighting? I'm so tired. Hug a goddamn T-Rex. Oh, my God. For real. Hug a goddamn Teen Rex. <laughs> team Teen Rex. Team Teen Rex. We just want Go hugs. Go Teen Rex. But our arms are so short. Kazuya ends up overpowering Heihachi and is about to throw him off a cliff, which is canon. And that's how the end of the first second ends. And Jin runs over and embraces him from behind. So Kazuya drops his father backwards, not over the cliff. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I dropped him. <laughs> That would be me. I would be like, well, I was surprised. <laughs> I mean, she didn't run at him from behind. You could have been like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have been unfair. And you could have had all of the things you wanted instead of just one. But it's fine. It's true. I'm not saying don't go for vengeance against your father who threw you off a cliff. I'm saying go for and it. And abuse you your whole life. I'm just have you considered. <laughs> all right. Small so- murder. So, he's knocked out behind him. Kazuya is pissed. And he had warned her, and that if she got in his way, that he would kill her. So he turns around towards her and grabs her by the neck, and then, or the throat, and lifts her off the ground. So, she goes to tell him that it's fine, and that if his de- if her death can save him from killing his father and release him from the evil that's holding him, then it's worth it, and he can go ahead and do it. I don't think that's, that's how, not it how it works, that but goes. I don't know. Maybe that is how it works. Maybe uh, the devil just wants a death. Uh, you would be killing Angel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How many questioning sounds can I make? And do any of them differ really at all? (laughs) So, Kazuya can't really wrap his head around what she's saying and what she's doing. She doesn't know him. She doesn't know his father. And she tells him then that she too has been damaged since the day that she witnessed him being thrown off the cliff. Because she was, like I said, like six. Yeah. And that she wasn't able to save him then, but she wants to save him now if he would just let her. And then she starts to cry. This is what makes him pause and brings him back to that fateful day. And there's kind of like a little memory, internal, soul talking, whatever shit happening. With this, Kazuya realizes that the worst demons are always found within oneself. Heihachi wakes up and ends up trying to run over to Kazuya and, like, push him off the cliff. Like, can't you go home? Yeah, seriously. Aren't you a thousand He literally is a thousand. Yeah. And um, he goes to, like, punch Kazuya and Jin jumps jumps in the way, taking the punch, and then they all fall off the cliff together. Bummer. So the last scene is labeled sometime later. (laughs) (laughs) That you would enjoy that. I do. I so fucking do. (laughs) And Jun is sitting in the woods. She's knitting. And there's a bunch of woodland creatures around her, because apparently she's a fucking Disney princess at Mm -hmm. this point. Hey, good. A little boy comes running up to her, calls her mom, and asks her if they can continue the story that they were reading yesterday. We find out that this little boy is Jin. They walk off, hand in hand, and the credits start rolling to a fucking offspring song. (laughs) you know. (laughs) I think that laugh was just a fucking turkey sound. 
Um, You're welcome, Kevin. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, wow, the 90s was fucking wild. <laughs> I'm gonna break my glasses. <laughs> you are so dangerously close to slapping off my Oh, bed. I know. I'm aware. My butt is actually off of your bed. I'm just holding the rest of me on. Shit. We'll see right. how that goes. So, do I think he cared about her? Yes, I do. Do you think that Jun loved Kazuya? No, but I think Jun also super cared about him and they had this connection that wouldn't be found anywhere else because they're invisible. Mm, they're faded. Yes, yes, sort of. Sort of something like that. I get it. So It's like a evil version of Mamochan. Yes. If you asked Jun if she loved Kazia, I think she would say yes because I so I think she loved him, but I don't think she was like in love with him. Fair enough. Yes. I don't think Kazian is capable of loving. Fair. But I think he cared for Jun. So why do I think this? First off, well, because I want to. Because <laughs> <laughs> they my OTP of Tekken. Because uh, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> and um, Kazia. Because <laughs> this is my podcast and that's what I say. Yeah, come fucking fight me. But actually don't because that's too much work. I'm not Kazuya. I don't want to fight everyone. Yeah, no, that's so much work. <laughs> All right, so Kazuya is a main character Tekken. He's been the main character, one of the main characters. The whole uh, family is, but since the first Tekken. <laughs> and while he's pretty fucking awful, he isn't always the worst. Heihachi is often always the worst, and Jin can also be a huge douchebag. But knowing um, he even had the slightest of affection towards a very strong and powerful but caring woman makes him just a little more human. I think it makes it a little more easier to relate to him when he's not supposed to be the fucking worst, which isn't always, but Mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And... Sort of me being like, I want to believe this. This is like sort of my OTP from Tekken. And it's part of my childhood. So unless canon makes it fucked up, don't fuck it up for me. Seems fair. You fucking bitches. You fucking bitches. So yeah. So that Because is, fuck you. <laughs> that is fuck you. Mm-hmm. Happy fucking Valentine's Day. The 42 cast is turning 100, but like all good things, it must come to an end. Tune in to our epic finale as we see who lives, who dies, and who gets their own spinoff. And then come back when the 42 cast is back for season two, with even more segments, more guests, and more of explaining why Ryan is wrong. It's why we're still the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. You can only find all this awesome by downloading the 42 cast, a proud member of the ESO network. All right. What are you talking about today, Martha? So today I am talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon. And also the uh, woman who created the creature. Fine. Yeah. 
Uh, so my sources today are, there was 10 things you probably didn't know about Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I didn't write where that came from, but I'm sure you can Google that shit. <laughs> and then Monster Maker Millicent Patrick finally gets her due in Lady from the Black Lagoon by Liz Hand for the LA Times, and The Forgotten Woman Who Designed the Creature from the Black Lagoon by Mandalit DeBarco on NPR. Have you seen Creature from the Black Lagoon? No. All right. It's, it's like, I mean, it's pretty genuinely enjoyable. <laughs> that came out like so long and shit like that. But it's like, you know, it's an old timey B movie. That's fun. I've seen clips of it. Yes. And I'm sure you know the creature because yeah. everybody fucking knows the creature. And, and also, bag. I was going to say, I have a purse with him. Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I will probably at some point call The Creature from the Black Lagoon, but whatever, is a 1954 American black and white 3D monster horror film from Universal produced by William Island and directed by Jack Arnold, starring a bunch of fucking actors who, if I said their names, they would mean nothing to us, and most of them this is like their biggest role, so who cares? Also, we're bad at names, so it it's doesn't true. Really matter. I won't know any of the nope. names, so you don't need to say yeah. them. Also, I had no clue that this was a f- fucking 3D movie originally. In 1954? Yeah, so the 1950s, like, 3 to, like, 5, had a big 3D movie boom. I think the original House of Wax with Vincent Price was in 3D. That was the first, like... OG 3D movie. So Creature from the Black Lagoon was filmed in 3D and originally projected by uh, the polarized light method. The audience wore viewers with gray polarizing filters similar to the viewers most commonly worn today. So basically how they make 3D movies work is that polarized lenses, they can make things a little bit dizzy and um, they can make things to kind of jump out at you. So basically, they have to be polarized the same direction. So if you make one polarized up and down and the other one polarized side to side, that's how you make 3D glasses. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is why they're always a little bit dark, because they have to have some sort of polarization. And they're really discombobulating at first. Exactly. But yeah, so that's how they used to fucking do it back in fucking 1954, which is wild um and then it just fell out of style and came back in like the 80s and it's not going away now no because the brief 1950s 3d film fad had peaked in mid-1953 and was fading fast in early 1954 so yeah it was really goddamn quick (laughs) (laughs) made everyone dizzy and they were like fuck exactly uh many audiences actually saw it flat so I would say most of them, if you weren't in, like, an actual city, you definitely saw it in 2D. Uh, In 1975, Creature from the Black Lagoon was released to theaters in the inferior, this is from Wikipedia, but it's funny, and true, uh, red and blue glasses anaglyph 3D format, which was uh, also used for a 1980 home video release on VHS. I know. So it probably came with a couple of those little, like, terrible red and blue 3D That's funny. I also fell down a hole reading how that works and was like, oh, 
I feel kind of queasy just thinking about the whole thing. <laughs> I get the polarization thing, and that makes me a little bit queasy too, but it's it's deal withable. The other one, I'm like, I can't look at anything red because it disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon generated two sequels, which I didn't... I think I knew that they existed, but I didn't know very much about, and I still don't, so that's that. Uh, one of them was called Revenge of the Creature in 1955, which they also filmed and released in 3D in hopes of reviving the format and did not work. Womp. Womp. Shoop. Um, and then The Creature Walks Among Us in 1956, which was just normal 2D shit. Uh, the Creature, also known as the Gill Man, is usually counted among classic universal monsters. So, basic plot is as follows. So, a geology expedition in the Amazon uncovers fossilized evidence, which is like a skeletal hand with webbed fingers. I thought for a second you were going to explain what a fossil was to me. <laughs> A fossil is a skeleton that's from old timey, and they find it in the dirt, and they have to dig it up, but, like, carefully, because if you break it, then you have to put it back together, and that's a lot of work. (laughs) Oh, God. This is the worst explanation of a fossil. This is the least scientific explanation of a fossil that exists in the world. Um, I'm sorry to any scientist, any paleontologist. I know what that scientist is. Um, Also Monique. I'm Monique, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I ruined dinosaurs for everyone. I ruined dinosaurs. Think about those poor T-Rexes on Team Teen T-Rex. Team Teen T-Rex. Think about the poor baby T-Rex that I found in an egg on the beach. They're just called... In my (laughs) found memory. Which, like, that that doesn't make sense <laughs> in, for so many reasons. <laughs> so, yes, uh, they find a skeletal hand with webbed fingers, and that provides a direct link between land and sea animals. The expedition leader, Dr. Carl Maya, orders his two assistants to stay in the camp while he uh, visits the Marine Biology Institute. While he's there, he reunites with his friend, ichthyologist... Reunites. <laughs> he is so good. <laughs> Dr. David Reed, who's recently been in Brazil studying lungfish. Uh, David persuades his boss, who has some fucking money, Dr. Mark Williams, all these goddamn doctors. Um, and none of us will remember their names. No, I haven't remembered one of them that you said. No. Now I'm looking up a lungfish, though. That's they're weird looking. I, I think. don't know what they are. If I remember, oh, they are weird looking, right? They're kind of eely looking. Yeah. So David persuades his boss, Doctor Mark Williams, who has some goddamn money, to fund a return expedition to the Amazon to look for the remainder of the skeleton. Um, and soon after they all leave, leave fucking camp. Uh, the creature comes around. They're air breathing. Yes. That's crazy. I didn't know that was sorry. No. I didn't mean to. Uh, no, I it's am, fair. I um, am. Are they like mudskippers? Because they also are air lungfish, breathers. Lungfish, any member of a group of six species of living air-breathing fishes. And several, and several extinct relatives. Hot damn. Oh my god, he's really cute. I he's like a little potato yeah. with a tail. 
He's it, just like a potato with a tail. Yeah, there's a few different kinds. They're just one. One of them's more really like a fish, but you know. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So back to the lungfish. Back to the lungfish. No, we're past the lungfish at this point. <laughs> but I didn't hear anything after the lungfish. Because <laughs> I was looking up the lungfish. <laughs> so back to the lungfish. Okay. Um Dr. David Reed studying lungfish yeah. in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, David persuades his boss to fund a return expedition to the Amazon to look for the remainder of the webby skeleton. Lungfish? No. Oh, okay. We're not on lungfish anymore. Now we are past... We're, we're going we're, to webby skeletons. We're back on the hand that they found. Okay. Basically, after Carl leaves his two assistants, um, like right after he leaves, the creature's like, oh, what's going on over there? Do, do, do. And he's clearly a living version of the, what the fossil was. Um, he's curious to come on, sh- check shit out. He scares the assistants who panic and attack. And in response, the creature kills them both. Mm. Both fair. Yeah. Exactly. Both, both of these reactions are normal reactions. Yep. <laughs> All of the other nerds get back and some other scientists and they're like, um, what's up with this? There's some dead bodies here. This is probably an issue. And Carl, the captain of the ex- expedition, is like, uh, it's probably a jaguar. It's no big deal. And I'm like, first of all, it's a big deal either way. And Fuck secondly, that. it is not a jaguar sir but it's fine so they go into look for the fossil and a further excavation to the area turns up nothing some of them are ready to give up the search and david suggests that maybe perhaps thousands of years ago the part of the embankment containing the rest of the skeleton fell into the water and was washed down river broken up by the current like that makes sense Maybe it moved in a thousand fucking years. Pangea? Yeah. Probably not Pangea. <laughs> I said yeah immediately, though. Uh, cool. Um, that was a role reversal. I was Karen and you were Georgia there. God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, Carl's basically like, they're, the, all of the tributaries empty into a lagoon and... Underneath everything, there's, like, kind of more water where Pangea? it's dark and scary and stuff like that. I'm going to poke <laughs> you in the eye. Uh, they call it the Black Lagoon, blah, 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 and that's where we get the name. So they're like, well, we're going to risk it anyways. Let's check out this lagoon. And uh, they're unaware that the Gill Man is basically, like, watching them the entire time. And uh, Now, is he watching them with murderous intent or, like, curiosity? Curiosity. Okay. Mm-hmm. He also thinks that the one girl on their trip, Kay... Is pretty. Is pretty. So she's the one swimming, right? Yes. Is that that scene? It turns out that I also did a love story for February fourteenth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have done King Kong and that girl. <laughs> Shit. It's okay. Romance Mine was a devil. They're all fucking in the creatures. Water. That's the one I wrote this song just for. <laughs> Just for everyone here. Um, I'm dead. I'm dead. I was going to say sorry. I'm sorry. At least I got to taste these delicious seltzers before I died. (laughs) Good luck with my dog. Oh, no. So the creature uh, takes notice of Kay and then also follows their ship. 
to the Black Lagoon. And once the expedition arrives, some of these fucking nerds go to collect rock samples from the lagoon floor. After they return, Kay goes swimming because she is pretty and that's what we're here for. And is stalked underwater by the Gill Man, who then gets briefly caught in one of the ship's drag lines. Although it escapes, the creature leaves a claw behind in the net, which reveals its existence. It's basically like, and she's like, oh, I feel like it, something touched my foot. Which is exactly how I feel any Every time seaweed touches your foot in the water. Yeah, or like a fish if you're in a pond. And yes, you're like, true. Uh, it's definitely the creature who's ready to marry me. And I'm like, well. <laughs> it could be worse. How are your benefits? <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of subsequent encounters with the Gilman, and he kills a bunch of members of the crew before he is captured and locked on a cage aboard the Rita. It does escape during the night, and it attacks the guy who, the fucking nerd who is guarding it. Kay smashes the creature with a lantern, which drives it off, but it injured a bunch of people on the way. And David, the one person who's like sort of not an idiot, He's like, maybe we should get the fuck out of here and return to civilization. And Maybe you should just try talking to the creature. Have you thought about... He seems like he wants to be friends. Yeah. And marry this girl. Mm-hmm. I don't think she wants to marry him, though, so... But he's trying to, like, you know, it's hard to do an overture when you guys don't speak the same language. Language. Same. <laughs> I don't speak the same speak that language either. So Martha's the creature of the Black Lagoon, and I'm Kay. Hey! (laughs) So David's like, we should go back, and Mark is like, let's capture or probably kill the creature. So the the Rita tries to leave, and the Gilman has blocked the lagoon's entrance with a bunch of fallen logs because he's strong and big, and he can do that sort of thing. That's not like our beaver. He builds dams. He builds dams. God damn it! No, just kidding. I'm... I'm in his kick the microphone into your head. (laughs) (laughs) But I I only have one other microphone in just this head. Um, Blue, blue, blue. I like how you go to the microphone first. We only have one other microphone. I guess I only have one head. (laughs) I'm fine. Okay. There's a bunch of fallen lugs uh, blocking the lagoon's entrance, so they're fucking trapped. And then a bunch of the others try to remove the logs and uh, the creature fucking mauls Mark to death, which is fair because Mark Mark is kind of a twat. Mark is the one who is in charge of kind of, oh no, Carl is in charge of everything. Mark is another person who's a twat. Okay. So yeah, Mark is mauled to death, but it's because he's like, I'm going to catch the creature all by myself. And the creature's like, I'm going to fucking destroy you, you stupid. Is he a big fucking nerd? They're all nerds. I mean, they're like... Except Carl. Or who's the... who's the Carl's a nerd, too. They're all nerds. Like, just Carl's in charge. Oh. They didn't bring I want any... Carl's in charge of me! Uh, they didn't bring any, like, people that could defend them from jaguars? No. Okay. <laughs> that was that answer. Um, maybe they did, and I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure no. I'm pretty sure it was all, like, place relatively weirdly strong scientists anyways, because it's all the 1950s, so everybody's handsome, and, like, you know, they're swimming, so... Stuff. Um, because it's Hollywood. Because it's Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. But if these people were real, they would be nerds, and you and I would push them into lockers. 
We'd push you into the lake for the Black Lagoon For real. And then I would high-five the creature because I think he's a fucking boss. And not a bad dude. Is he the only one? Uh, yes. Which is sad. Can there only be one at a time? Like Highlander? Yes. I have no idea. Or is he just the last one of his kind? I think he might be the last one of his kind, which is sad. Okay. Mark, dead. Dead. He's dead. Sorry. It's okay. I'm Uh, just really curious because I haven't seen this movie. I'm going to have to rewatch it. We can rewatch it together because it's not that long because it's old. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's cute. And you could watch it in the background because there's not a whole lot that goes on except for when the creature is on on screen. But yeah, so uh, after that, the gill man then abducts Kay and takes her to his cavern lair. All of the rest of the nerds uh, chase after the creature, and she she is ultimately rescued, and they shoot the creature as he's swimming off with a bunch of bullets. Why is she there? Is she a scientist too? She is a scientist. So she's working with somebody. She's also a scientist, and she's somebody's girlfriend, but I can't remember who. Okay. Just wanted to know She know is why someone's girlfriend. I assume here. she is David's girlfriend, because David's the only person who's, like, not the worst. Okay. But who knows? She's not the only bombshell in this story. Oh, okay. This but is- she is the only bombshell in the movie. Okay. Kay is ultimately rescued. Uh, they shoot the creature as he's swimming away, and he's riddled with bullets before retreating to the lagoon, where its body sinks into the watery depths, which is lame as shit. I hate to see a monster die, but of course, there were sequels, so it's a comic book death if you've ever seen one. Uh, but still... Y'all fucked around, and even after seeing the assistant's death, so I'm not sorry. Also, on the surface, the creature of the Black Lagoon looks just like any other Universal monster movie, but it had environmental undertones as well. So Kay, like, flicks a cigarette into the lagoon, and the camera follows it underwater to watch the Gilman watching her from below and being like, what the fuck? And then uh, there's another scene where there's a bunch of fish floating at the top of the water due to chemicals that the crew poured into the water. So it's basically like the Gilman is just fucking protecting his home and you guys are all the worst. Anyhow, the real star of all of this was the Gilman costume. So, uh, the terrifying movie monster could both swim in his lagoon and walk on land. He had long claws, webbed hands and feet, and uh, scales and a dorsal fin. His round, fishy head had bulging eyes and layers of wavy gills. Uh, audiences at this point had never seen a full-body monster costume like that before. Uh, they'd had Wolfman and Frankenstein, but you knew that there was a man behind the makeup. But the Gilman was so elaborate, especially at this point in time that uh, it was detailed and believable and alien and uh, easy to accept it as it was. And it's pretty much exactly what you would expect from uh, the kind of evolutionary missing link between man and fish. Um, and also the gills on the costume even moved when it breathed. Oh, cool. Right? So fucking cool. So the creature was played by Ben Chapman on land and uh, Riku Browning underwater. So since there were two different actors playing the characters, two suits had to be made. But that was probably good, too, because one would obviously, was obviously better for swimming and one was better to run around. Yeah, I'm I assuming. think they were relatively I'm assuming similar. Yeah, yeah, similar, obviously, <laughs> but I'm sure they had slightly slight differences in yeah. it. Cause well, also, so- I imagine swimming under a lot of water is more difficult than that Mm -hmm. kind of costume. 
So, yes, but also the guy who swam around uh, Riku Browning was like, once I got into it, it, like, wasn't that hard, mm-hmm. except for you can't fucking see anything. Yeah. And, That's like, funny. it's too close to your face to wear any goggles. So yeah. You just have to, like, look through the teeny holes. Yep. But on the other side, fucking uh, Ben Chapman, it was, like, crazy hot. And yeah. And couldn't see and he couldn't sit. So, like, he would shoot for, uh, like, 14 fucking hours a Oof. day and he overheat. So they just basically, like, he'd just, like, stand in the lake. Or, like, they would hose him fucking down. Yeah. Oh, God. God, he yeah. can pee. I know. And he de- would dehydrate. Yeah. Because he wouldn't want to drink because he couldn't pee. Yeah, basically. Not not great. Uh, at one point, um, when he was holding Julie Adams because she's supposed to be, like, passed out and he's taking her back to the cave, he couldn't see what was going on. He ended up, like, whacking her head on the side of the cave. Oh. Not, like, badly, yeah. but she was like, I had my eyes closed because I'm supposed to be passed out, and then all of a sudden I'm like, clonk! <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool, awesome. I'm sure he felt real bad. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so first captured in 1954, the elusive creature and Millicent Patrick, the woman who designed him, are... Um, the focus of a new book from 2019, which I haven't read yet, but, you know, I probably will at some point. The book is The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara. Mallory got interested in um, Millicent because she was the first woman that she'd ever seen working on a monster movie. And basically she was like, I'm immediately attached to you because of this. That's so cool. I want to look into you and figure out who you are. And then she started looking into her and she figured out that she hadn't gotten the credit that she deserved. And she wrote a fucking book about it, which baller move. So basically, uh, Millicent Patrick in Hollywood when she was younger had a couple bit parts. She's fucking beautiful. Like literally Hollywood actress. Well, she was a Hollywood actress, but like, as somebody who worked on monsters and stuff like that, you wouldn't expect it. And then you look at her and you're like, good goddamn lord, it's ridiculous. Uh, she had some bit parts in Hollywood and then later had some parts after all of that. Uh, she was a gifted artist and received three scholarships to an art institute, which I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try. And then she also served as an artist animator for uh, Walt Disney Studios. She worked in 1939 for their um, storied ink and paint department, which was staffed entirely by women and was housed in a separate building from the Disney Studio campus. And basically all of these women, like hundreds and hundreds of women, are just there to produce, reproduce tens of thousands of animators' drawings onto celluloid, which is crazy laborious. It's just drawing the same fucking thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, there was an article in Vanity Fair in 2010 that basically their job was to make what the men did look good. So at an average of 8 to 10 cells an hour, 100 girls could, in theory, turn out less than one minute of screen time by the end of a day. Shit. I fucking know. I was like, I didn't know about this either. And so while she was at Disney, Mildred worked as a color animator um, on Fantasia. And then she also um, contributed sequences to Night on Bald Mountain in Fantasia, where she created the 
animation for the demonic Chernabog. So like scary. I, don't I literally I just rewatched just that part <clears throat> yeah. today, and I was like, anything that gave you nightmares from Fantasia is probably this. Yeah, I remember Fantasia at all, really, except obviously mm. like the basic like mopping yeah. scene. Other than that, I haven't seen Fantasia. I was like, I remember forever. that, and I remember the little centaurs. Yeah, because they're yes. cute. Yeah, I like cute girls. Yeah. That makes um, sense. I remember them now that you say that. I know, I'll call out, right? <laughs> so, um, at this point, uh, she ended up leaving Disney. There was, like, some affair going on in her life. Her life was a, like, big old bunch of shit going on anyways. And then she ended up meeting, while she was working at a, as an extra on the Universal lot, she met the head of the um, studio's makeup department, Bud Westmore. Basically, Westmore was, like, the head of all of the makeup for certain monster things in Universal. He ended up kind of getting his studio through just being somebody's son versus being actually talented. Exactly. Um, But it was his name on everything because he was the head of everything. Mm -hmm. So she was hired in 1952 as a makeup designer for uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, But people who were more familiar with the movie, uh, including the person who actually sculpted the Gill Man's Mask, uh, Chris Mueller, state that she basically designed the creature. And uh, Westmore was like, nope, it was me. I definitely did it. So they did a bunch of previews and they did like an Abbott and Costello like pre thing before Creature from the Black Lagoon came out, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> which they actually had um fucking Ben what was it, Ben Sharon, um, the actor go on as like he was in there as the creature from the black lagoon. Like beautiful. I love that shit. Uh, so they did the, like, show off for that. And because it was getting, like, big reviews and a lot of interest at that time, they were like, okay, well, we will make a big deal out of it. And we are going to do a whole tour where we send you, the person who designed the monster, and kind of capitalize on her involvement on a publicity tour with the tagline, the beauty who created the beast. Which, like, granted, there is no one person who creates a giant monster suit because it's a movie studio. It's going to be a lot of fucking mm-hmm. people. But she was the one who came up with the design. She was the one who, like, finalized everything. Riku Browning remembers her coming up to him and, like, painting on some of his suit to make it sure that it would work. And he's like, I have to swim in this. And she's like, it's fine. I know what I'm fucking doing, <laughs> which I'm sure she was nice about it because she seems like that kind of a person, which is much nicer than me. Um, unfortunately, Westmore, who was Bud Westmore, known to be difficult and controlling and kind of a shithead, uh, hit the roof because he was like, mm, you can't say you created the monster. That doesn't seem fair. It's my name on it. So blah, 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 blah. I'm a fucking butthead. So they renamed the tour because he was really that genuinely that petty to the beauty who lives with the beasts. Not as good. No. She went on this tour um, and was basically like anytime anybody asked her about it was like, yeah, it was part of a team. But Westmore was still a fucking turd about it. And he took her name out of the credits replaced it with his own, and when she returned from the successful almost month-long tour, he had her fired. 
cool, awesome guys. Yeah. And uh, so her exile from the Universal Makeup Department brought an end to a promising aspect of her career and forever clouded the details of her efforts while on Westmore's staff. So, like, we don't know exactly how much she actually did or didn't do. And, like, there are other things that she potentially created. Can you imagine being like, you did a great job here. You're fired. Yeah, it's horrible. Because I'm a petty white guy. Yeah. So she might have contributed to things like she might have designed the Xenomorph for It Came From Outer Space. She definitely designed the Gilman. There's a monster from this island Earth called the Metaluna Mutant, um, which she probably was like the designer for. You know, there were a lot of things where she should have had her name on it. And because she was stricken from this, she either pulled herself back and like, just was like, I'm just not going to put my name on things. I'll mm-hmm. just create or was blacklisted. It's hard to tell just because it's been so long and her a lot of her life is shrouded in mystery because she doesn't have a lot of it like written down. I was going to say, this is where you write things down, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, like all of her like original drawings are like lost and things like that, which is shitty. Doug Jones recently made a quote about her who... Um, Doug Jones played the amphibian man in The Shape of Water. He also played in Hellboy. He played Ape Sapien. He plays a bunch of monsters. He's a really nice guy. I have actually met him at a con, which is why I pulled him in here so I could name drop that shit. And he was very, he's just like one of those people who, if you're from, (laughs) if you're from fucking Boston or thereabouts, and somebody's this nice, you're like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? Are you trying to, like, steal something from what's me? Your angle Are here? you trying to rob me? What's fucking happening? Yeah, no. Genuinely probably one of the nicest guys ever, but he's basically, like, he's done a ton of creature acting and was, like, having played so many creatures over so many years, I can tell you that it takes a village to make a monster. Legacies have been passed down from one generation to the next, and so for her name to never have come up until now is a travesty. Uh, Millicent Patrick Rossi Trent went on to life as a society lady in Los Angeles and continued to sketch portraits, and she died at age 82 in 1998. One of the quotes from the book the Lady of the Black Lagoon, was in 1818, Mary Shelley created popular culture's first and most enduring monster in Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. Since then, women have always been the most important part of monster movies. Now you know about a part where it was created in the back. Millicent Patrick, the unsung designer of a very iconic monster that it's has lasted that forever. She only died in 1998. I mean, I know that was yeah. She lived for years ago. Like, all, but I know. But like that, we still don't know. There's so much that we don't know. Yeah. In 1998, mm-hmm. like, and it's funny um, because one of the articles I was reading came out before the book, which came out in 2019, mm-hmm. and it was like from 2011, and they weren't even sure if she was dead or not. Yeah. They were like, sad lists her as like missing, and that's it. Weird. Yeah. I'll have to pull up a picture of her for you because she's like gorgeous. But yeah. 
It's always yeah. fun to hear that, like, a woman is, you know, We're always getting shit done. And, like, especially since... And then some rich white guy ruins it. Of course. It's like, actually, I did the thing. Tale as old as fucking time. You fucking didn't. Also nice to know that a monster that I've loved for literally almost my entire life was created by a boss-ass woman. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. All right, everyone. All right, that's that. Thanks for coming on in, episode 43. Yeah, if you've listened to 43 episodes of us, you deserve a prize, and the prize is that you get another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. And please rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which is where you can find us. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Spotify. We're also on the ESO network and on Podbean. We always do tell where we are, but you're listening to us. So you yeah. obviously know where we are. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. Yeah. Maybe we subscribe. I'm tired. It's late. I've been up for so many hours. A thousand hours. That's like a walk a dog. Yes, also that. See you next Tuesday. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, first let's, let's Talk Nerdy. <laughs> hey, I had it this time. You gave me that face like, oh no, don't laugh. It's don't an I have to laugh. I'm not going to fuck it up. <laughs> it's never not me. It's never not me. Fuck. Okay, let's try again. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, first. <laughs> <laughs> How did you just say your name? It was so fast. <laughs> I'm Martha Bartlett. <laughs> I mean, they know who I am, and I feel like you got the point across. I didn't it was even... so fast. Was it? I'm gonna have to listen back. I like literally. I'm Martha Bartlett. It's my newscaster name. I was like, why did you just say that? Because so I'm a newscaster fast. today. Oh. Okay, their time's a charm. Be normal. I'm normal. You just keep laughing at me. But I'm normal. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But First, Let's Let's Talk Parody. I think you're losing it. I'm making too much eye contact. I don't think we can look at each other. I think that's the problem right now. Okay, I'm not going to look at you. I think that's the problem. Okay. Because I can, like, sense your brain thinking about what's happening. I mean, it is definitely going to do that. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? What do you fucking want from me? I don't know how to make this better. (laughs) I'm leaving all of this in. Everyone can just decide how much he wants to take out <laughs> We're having a problem. I think we're both sleep deprived and I'm and so tired today. You- I don't know why. Well, probably because like I go to bed at like two and I wake up at like five thirty every day and then I wake up again later. You know, that was a real good story. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Say your name like a normal person, Martha Bartlett. Okay, thank you. I want Carl's in charge of me. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.